0: What's up, guys? Welcome to The Narrative with me, Samantha Weaver, and my co-host, Asia Porter. In this conversation about mental health, we would just like to give a general content warning, trigger warning for mentions of suicide. Check out the episode description for specific times to avoid.
1: Hey guys, welcome back. As always, we are so happy that you're here with us. Um, This is episode eight, so if you have not already, please go and catch up on the first seven episodes. There's a lot of great content there, but this week we're going to be talking about mental health.
0: Yeah, mental health in POC communities can be kind of taboo, and that's not to say that POCs don't suffer from mental health issues or have like conversations surrounding mental health. However, there still is this fight to have mental health completely recognized and accepted, so we thought it would be a great time to talk about that, and to do that with us today, we have two amazing guests. Would you guys like to introduce yourselves?
2: Yeah, I can start. So my name is Sanjana. I am a rising junior at WashU, and my pronouns are she, her, and hers.
3: And I'm Nick. I'm also a rising junior at WashU, and my pronouns are he, him, and his.
2: Yeah, so
1: thank you guys so much for coming on. Um, Just to start things off, we wanted to ask you all, what is your definition of mental health or mental well-being?
2: Yeah, so I think that my definition of mental health is pretty basic. I think it's just your cognitive well-being, so how you're able to cope with the daily stresses of life. Um, But I think mental health is a little bit different than being mentally healthy. So I think about being mentally healthy in terms of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. So at that like self-actualization level, can you actually like pursue your goals and passions and dreams to the fullest ability? Um, So I don't think that anybody is like 100% mentally healthy. And I think it's something that we're always working towards getting there.
3: Yeah, definitely. I I think Sanjana provided a a great definition. Uh, I similarly say, I think mental health is something like the state and condition of one's mental, emotional, and psychological well-being. And uh, you can attain stronger, more fortified mental health through the processes of mental wellness, I'd say, which are a lot of the practices day in and day out, whether that be therapy or journaling, or other hobbies that help to fulfill your life, which helps to fortify and strengthen your mental health. So just taking those extra steps through mental wellness to take care of yourself in that intangible metaphysical way that we don't always pay attention to because a lot of those symptoms are not physical, so to speak.
0: Yeah, going off that, okay, you guys have like these definitions and you're what some 20 something year old beings. And this is what you come up with now but obviously there was a starting point and i think with anything it starts within the home so kind of growing up what were um what were the attitudes about mental health um what did that kind of look like and what were you taught about mental health
3: yeah Yeah. um I, i can i can i can start here i think uh Mental health for my household and in my community, I I come from the greater Newark area in New Jersey. And if you know anything about Newark and the greater Newark area, it's predominantly Black, it's predominantly working poor, and it's urban. And so that was sort of my cultural context. And in that context, mental health was a really, really taboo subject, honestly. Um, It's not something that we talked about day in and day out because oftentimes people didn't see mental health as a kind of priority it was this kind of intangible thing that you, you sort of talk about buzzwords, you know, taking care of yourself and things like that. But nobody was really actively practicing the steps that I talked about earlier. Mental wellness. Nobody was having conversations about what mental wellness. And because we were in a low-income POC urban area, access to adequate mental health resources were scarce at best. And they existed, of course. Um, but they were few and far between, and they weren't very good. And the only times I'd ever heard of anybody going for mental health resources therapy or things like that, um, th- there was always, especially amongst us kids, any students that was doing anything like that, there was always a stigma attached to whatever they were doing. So uh, it, 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 was, it was uninformed, I would say. And um, I don't know, Sanjana, if you have anything to add to that.
2: Yeah, I'll say, um, and I'll give a little bit of my cultural context as well. My experience has also been that it's been very uninformed. So I was born in Thelangana, which is a state in South India. So I moved here when I was one years old. So to me, there's not too much attachment there, but my parents are very much, very kind of attached and ingrained in South Indian culture, which makes sense. And so I remember like an incident in school that happened to me in which like a school counselor was like, I think you need to see a therapist. And so I remember the attitude my parents had at that point, which was mental health is equated to insanity. Um, it's equated with ungratefulness. It's equated with being spoiled, just having had too much growing up. So it's interesting, right? Like I think in South India, a lot of people, again, like going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, because I think that makes a lot of sense here a lot of people are on like the first two levels where they're like just trying to secure like a food and home and like well-being and so I think in India when you say mental health because so many people are struggling with those basic needs like mental health just seems ridiculous to them like you have food and water how could you like not be okay so I think the attitude at least in my experience has still been that it's It's not something that we should care about in the same way that we should care about physical
3: health. Could I add something to that? Yeah, of course. Um, I I, I think you touched on something really, really important that exists sort of cross-culturally in both of our communities, which is just this idea that mental health is not a priority because... Especially, I can speak from the black experience again, coming from a low income, predominantly black urban area. We're always struggling. Struggle is a part of our everyday reality, whether it be financial, economic, political, social, um, a lack of resources, the persistent disenfranchisement that exists in those communities. Struggle is just the name of the game when it comes to life in areas like that. And so mental health, I mean, people kind of just laugh and it's, it's sort of seen as this frivolous thing And often I remember growing up as well, there was this cultural notion that, you know, things like therapy and mental health care were reserved for rich white people who um, couldn't handle what we perceived as their frivolous problems. Of course, there's a problematic dichotomy in that that conversation um, and we've discussed that earlier, but yeah, that was the the perception. And so I think that existence of struggle in in our communities um, made mental health kind of go on the back burner and i think that's really similar to what you pointed to um, um, from your own cultural context
1: yeah i also wanted to kind of comment as well as like ask another question because um, something that both of you all mentioned that resonated with me from my like perspective of being a part of the black community as well as like just research that i've looked into this is like this weaponization of seeking out mental health care and saying something like, Oh, you need to go to therapy or you should see a therapist that almost being weaponized against you to suggest that you have
3: mm-hmm. a
1: problem. And for lack of a better word to suggest that you're like, you're crazy and that you have issues or something like that. And so um, this like video or webinar or whatever that I watched, Dr. Jennifer Mullen, and if I can find the link, I can attach it to like the website, was talking about this specifically within like black black and brown communities and ways that that's used as a deterrent away from seeking out mental health care. And so I know you all were talking about how just mental health is not valued and not prioritized, but could you all speak a little bit more to you know, how your upbringings kind of maybe steered you away from seeking out therapeutic measures?
2: Yeah, I can say that I think in black and black and brown cultures and other cultures in general, um, they're very, very collectivist. And so a lot of what you do and the choices you make and how you present yourself is kind of in the vein of how will other people think. So like, I know in Hindi, it's like, what will other people think? And so I think when you're talking about like seeking out mental health resources, even if on an individual level, you can see the value in that and your family can see in the value in that. I think a lot of the issue stems from what is like the neighbor going to think about my daughter needing therapy? Like, are they going to think she's crazy? Are they going to think I raised her wrong? Um, And so I think a lot of my hesitation in terms of even wanting to access mental health resources, despite knowing that I really should have and needed to, is the fact that our family's like prestige and honor was something that was like really beaten into me as a child and something that I was really like very conscious of the fact that I needed to care about that.
3: Yeah, um, this is this stigma um, because it's, that's what it is really. It's a stigma that exists around pursuing adequate like adequate and and crucial mental health care resources is something that has really really and tragically personally impacted my life um, I'll go into a personal story that's really harrowing but it's something that I think is important to share in order to contribute to um, breaking down the stigma that exists I, I just hope to be able to use this this platform that I'm getting now to Talk about those things and share important things. Um, so three years ago, um, right before I started college, my mother took her own life. Um, three years ago this summer, and obviously that was the worst thing that has ever happened to me or anybody in my family. And it is the worst thing that'll ever happen to me in my life forever, for as long as I live. But it's a story that I have to sort of wear as an emblem and. I guess a kind of cautionary tale for people to understand how real the scourge of mental health and mental illness is in our society, especially in low-income communities of color. Um, So I I think, um, well, start is, my mother was always perceived as this really strong Black woman. You You know the stereotypes that exist. She was a single Black woman living from paycheck to paycheck holding it down for the household and so i didn't even know that she struggled with any sort of mental health issues really um until after what happened and i got a lot of you know hindsight they say hindsight is 2020 and in this case it that, that that was pretty much the classic example looking back on our life together and realizing all of the things that she was struggling with silently and You know, because uh, I endured that tragedy, I became really committed in my own life to educating myself on mental health, on mental wellness, and learning about measures that can help to adequately fortify my own mental health so that I don't end up down the same tragic path. Um, And in learning through that process, I, I, I can now identify a lot of the things that became evident in my mother's life path that might have pointed toward this, you know, tragic demise, you know, um, I remember right before this happened, I'm sorry, I'm bouncing all over the place, but it's just a lot. It's still, you know, a lot to process. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I still, and that's, that's just goes to show how much the stigma impacts these conversations because I still don't even know how to talk about this Mm -hmm. with people. Um, yeah, but I remember right before this, I was, the one, in fact, who had implored her to go seek out health care uh, for some of the psychological symptoms she had started experiencing. I, th- I think she was entering this kind of psychosis. I don't know what triggered it. I don't have any answers, and it's just going to always be this sort of mystery. But this is something that happened. And just like any other health issue, it's, it, it can develop out of, out of nowhere. Um, And maybe it's not out of nowhere but it's things over time that you don't notice until it's too late um but i was the one who implored my mother to go seek out uh mental health care and even then she was like no i don't need to see a therapist you know and she was she was going through this this illness that she was experiencing and even still, she was rooted in that stigma that had impacted her and me and all of us our entire lives. Like, oh, no, I don't need a therapist. I got this. I'm holding it down. I'm strong. I got this when in reality, there there was an emergency there. Um, and, you know, I, I can't change what happened. And I can only I can only use that story to try to share with others that. You know it's i definitely know what
0: you mean i think like through that story you're talking about the evolution of how she didn't really see it coming you know so that's how you say it right Mm -hmm. so trying you know to be a part of the solution of that what can you guys say for your own personal mental health like how has that evolved and how have you become more knowledgeable about mental health to reach like the point that you're at right now um, where Sanjana, you said like, it's always an ongoing process, which I believe and something that I didn't really think about until you said it, so thank you. Um, but thank just you. the state that you're at right now, what has that evolution process looked like for you personally? Yeah,
2: I can start where I was when I first recognized that I was talk- like kind of struggling with mental health issues and where I am now. So I know at like seventh, eighth grade time, and I think middle school is when it really starts for a lot of people. I was definitely struggling with depression and anxiety You know, to the point of, like, not being able to look people in the eye for a prolonged period of time. Because that's how scared I was of everything. And so I don't know if anyone, like, remembers or is familiar with this. But in, like, middle school time, there was this really dark, like, Tumblr subculture that existed of, like, people posting, like, really horribly depressing quotes, being very openly nihilistic, like, self-deprecating, hopeless And at the time I realized, you know, it was really, really toxic for me to seek solace in that community. But at the time it felt good to some extent because I was like, Hey, there are people who are like as depressed and hopeless as I am. Um, Looking back on that, I, I probably fed into my own depression and anxiety even more than I should have to the point of making it worse. But it made me realize like that there's a lot of value in community. And so where I've shifted to now is how can I surround myself with like positive influences? Like I don't want to be surrounded with a bunch of people who say I'm going to kill myself every other sentence because Mm -hmm. you know what? I have been in that place where I tried to kill myself and it's it's not a great thing, right? So Mm -hmm. trying to surround myself with people who are way more cognizant of what they say, trying to surround myself with people who are not always so negative that I feel like that's the only way that I can feel like I want to be around people who are a little bit more like enthusiastic and hopeful. And I think in high school, that was hard. I think in high school, we just because of the nature of high school and how busy it is and like all of our coursework, it is so hard to be that positive. But I think in college, I found so many like amazing friends who are really like optimistic and hopeful despite everything that's going on. And so that's been really great for me in terms of how I kind of approach um, dealing with my mental health and who I surround myself with.
3: Yeah, I think um, the, the point that you touched on about community was really, really important. Um, I found in, you know, I touched on the process of dealing with what happened with my mother and everything. And I think the the post-traumatic stress from that tragedy has, that, that has been at the core of my mental health journey since. And I think probably the most important part of, you know, my journey toward healing was the community that I have. Family and friends, you know, reaching out to people when I need someone to talk to. And I think it's really important to have people there in your life. You know, not all, not all of your friends and family can pick up the phone at the drop of a hat. People have lives to live and things like that. But it's important to have some people in your life, even if it's just a few, that you know that the bond is there where you could talk to them about anything. That's really that's really something that has been important to me in my mental health and mental wellness journey. Um, and other things that have helped to you know, fortify me. Um, I, I say fortified and what I mean by that is Fortifying yourself in ways that strengthen you and build you up because your path to mental wellness and your path through your mental health is not a static thing. It's a lifelong ongoing process that's gonna require you to pull things from your surrounding area, from your periphery, your constant periphery that inspire you, whether that be friends and family and the the supportive community like I was talking about um, or other things, you know, for me, music and film and other sort of creative arts really inspire me and allow me to think of outside of the box of my everyday reality, which can sometimes be depressing depressing or anxiety inducing, especially in this day and age. Um, seeking out those things has always helped me. Um, journaling and writing as well, I've always found those, those sorts of literary outlets have been helpful for me to organize and guide my thoughts somewhere logical and to not allow me to sit in the muddiness of some of my worst thoughts. So it allows me to unpack them and, and be productive through that process.
2: Yeah, I want to jump on what Nick just said. I think there's something like so beautiful about the way that art helps you deal with mental health. So like, I also love to like, I love to dance. I love to draw. I'm, I'm pretty bad at singing, but I love to sing. Like, um, I just, it's such a creative and fun way for you to express yourself without, you know, feeling like any external pressure to perform. And so I think art is really a great coping mechanism for people who are looking for coping mechanisms right now.
3: And uh, communities of color, uh, especially I know the Black community have constantly used art and other cultural outlets throughout history as a means to, to talk about their struggles and um, their individual struggles and cultural struggles as well. You know, for example, one one really iconic example of that is hip hop as a genre, hip hop and rap developed in the black and Latinx communities of the Bronx and Brooklyn in the 1970s, the mid to late 1970s, and came from a community that was dealing with all kinds of economic exploitation, mass incarceration, the war on drugs that was proliferating at that time police brutality, you know, and this is one of the worst economic eras for a place like New York City. And those communities found solace in their artistic practices and in the music that they were creating. So it's just one, you know, classic example of how the arts um, can serve as a tool and an outlet to to attain a kind of mental wellness.
0: No, I'm going to have to piggyback on that too, because I think Okay so I'm going into my junior year. All of us on this call are going into our mm-hmm. junior year. Something that I've really wanted to find. Like I have I play basketball so I had that as an outlet, but I've also always had this sort of creative side that has not really been tapped into because other things took up time. But Well, I mean I, you're
3: doing this podcast. I mean
0: that's what that's what I was going to say like this podcast <laughs> yeah. that's my thing. Like I think it's yeah. been so many people have reached out to Asia Me Cat and it's been therapeutic to them to hear like their stories represented. And honestly, like, it's so therapeutic to me to like just talk about it and just sit down with people. So I had to mention that, sorry. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. Um,
1: yeah, one other, one thing that I wanted to ask because, so Sanjana, you mentioned that, I don't know if you were saying like your mental he- mental health care has been easier in college or just like your mental health as a thing has been better in college as a, in comparison to high school. But I kind of wanted to ask like in this discussion about community, what role do you think community has played in that? Like, do you think that being in college and being able to have a wider pool of who you're surrounding yourself with, being able to engage in like these fine arts groups, being just like, just your general community being different, like what role do you think that plays
2: Yeah, Asia, so to answer your first question, I won't say my mental health care has been easier. Um, I think for people of color, mental health care is not going to be easy for a long time. Um, Just especially for me, like the, the attitude of my parents has not changed when it comes to mental health, when it comes to therapy. So for me, like I've never actually been to like formalized therapy because that's not something they believe in. And while I'm under their insurance, like it's just not something I can necessarily do on my own. So of course, I like set the goal for myself that like, when I'm out of college, and I have a job, and I can pay for things myself, that's the first thing I'm going to do, right? Like, I'm going to pay for therapy, and I'm going to go. And I think that everybody should go if they have the means. I don't think therapy is like, something for people who are messed up or had something happen to them. I think like everyone can benefit from from therapy. Um, But moving on to your second question about like education and like whether the environment that I've been in has really been beneficial for me, the answer to that is like definitely yes. And I think one thing is that like when as you get older and maybe this is just specific to WashU, I don't want to generalize, but a lot of the people I've interacted with are really good at recognizing the signs of mental illness. And even if not mental illness, hey, you seemed off today. Did something happen? Are you okay? Like, I've seen a lot of people genuinely ask, how are you? And mean it more than just like a passing question. So that's meant a lot to me in terms of feeling more mentally healthy. The other aspect is that, like, I just don't live at home anymore, um, which I think can be a huge reliever for a lot of people is like not really having any like
3: yes yeah
2: like I don't have like strict strict rules like I used to <laughs> I don't have to worry about like my body image like I used to at home like there's there's a oh, whole a set of freedoms yeah, yeah yeah there's a whole <laughs> set of freedoms that comes with living alone and I've really benefited from that and I, that's something like I like to tell high schoolers too like it's hard to receive care when you live with your parents and they're still your primary caregivers um I literally had a countdown to college since freshman year. Um, and it's it was slow, but it helped to see the days tick down one at a time until it was like 10 days and five and then zero and you're there. Um, so I think hanging on to the fact that you will be in a different environment soon, hopefully, and things really can get better is super helpful.
3: Yeah, you are preaching to the choir <laughs> on that point about being home. I don't know. Like I don't know why people I don't know why so many people I I don't know why so many people can relate to this. I think it's just a lot of sometimes our deepest insecurities can like concentrate in the home with the people that we grew up with and our family and always see us. Like and sometimes maybe they think they're they're being nice or helpful by saying certain things about, like again, your body image or your 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 life choices and things like that. And being at home, while ev- everyone everyone has a part of them that loves being at home, there's there's nothing like it. It's just part of that can also be it can also get at a lot of your insecurities about yourself, especially as we're young people growing into our own person. Um, it's a really just-
0: Gross, that's what it, it is. Yeah,
3: yes, that's it's gross. What it's it's what it, a, it.
0: No, like it's gross. I say growth, but yes, it's gross.
3: Oh, I, I oh yeah, <laughs> I'm sorry. But it's gross too though. Like I-
0: No, I was saying like, yeah, it's gross, but also just like, sometimes you got to just be a way to like grow and like grow into yourself, yeah. which I think is just basically what you guys are saying. And, like, speaking of growing, speaking about, like, school and, like, outlets you found in school, something that, like, okay, I didn't didn't really have a name for it until I came to school. But I learned about this thing called imposter syndrome. Um, Mm. And that's a big thing for, like, I believe black and brown communities. And also, like, there's this ongoing thing with, like, model minority. And that's even beyond college. Like, that's just in, like, the realm of anything. And I guess so is imposter syndrome. So I was wondering if you guys had, like, any experience with that, like, any comments on that. Um, I think for me, I'm just honestly still trying to figure out, like, I feel like I have, like, I can relate a bit, a little bit with, like, imposter syndrome and, like, what people say about it, but I'm still trying to navigate that for myself. So I'm wondering what that looked like for you guys or how you have thought about this.
3: Yeah, um, I remember, so before Washu, I went to the Petty School, which is this private boarding school in New Jersey. And so, the community makeup was Washu was the same. It's the same sort of caliber and creed of people that oh, so go to a place like Washu. Yeah. And I, I that's what, that's what I was going to get at. Um, I, that my process there though, was kind of tumultuous. And when it comes to imposter syndrome, because I was coming from eighth grade going to school in Newark, New Jersey with all black and Latinx people, um, you know, just always surrounded by that community and then being transplanted into this PWI where I was just a fish completely out of water. I had no yeah. idea what was going on in any way, socially or culturally. Just the, the, the cultural context was, it was just so different. And um, I dealt with a lot of things, especially, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a dark skinned black male and that was a huge point of contention that I was not prepared for. When I entered um, boarding school, it was just, it was always the butt of a joke, mm-hmm. especially freshman year, like all the time, <laughs> like until it, it, the point it was like, y'all, aren't you smart and clever students? There's nothing else that you can tap into. To... Right.
0: Supposed to be higher, you know, higher energy, right. education. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
3: exactly. And nothing, it, it's not original. It's, it's not. So I, um that, that I, I had to learn to just deal with that until people got a little older and less immature and
0: Mm -hmm. stop
3: making those jokes but that was that was part of the process that just made me feel like I didn't belong where I was it made me question the choice of even going to school where I did and it was so sad because I'd worked so hard in middle school like doing high school and college level work in middle school in order to get into an institution like that and so for me to just get there and to immediately get the sense that it wasn't for me. It was really sad, but it's just it's the process of a lot of th- it's the product of a lot of things. It's you know a historical process where institutions like my high school or Washu were not built to dedicate to the needs of students of color. They that's not where their origins lie. Um, that's true. And so now now we kind of come in as we're here, I don't know. What's four, up? Yeah, <laughs> what's good? You know, um, let's let's get into it and. It's just like um, the school, the schools, the schools don't know what to do. Wow. That's so
0: true though. Yeah.
3: They're just like, um, like this is not our area of expertise and you can see it.
2: Yeah. I can speak a little bit to the model minority myth part of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I personally find it really difficult to talk about the model minority myth because I, I do think that I'm someone who fits the mold of the model minority myth, not to be like arrogant. That's not my intention. But I do think that I'm someone who is like considered conventionally smart. Um, I, I am someone who comes from like a fairly privileged background. Like I've had what I've needed in life. Um, and so for me, the model minority myth hasn't been so damaging in what it assumes that I am. So much, so much as it's been damaging in the sense that people assume that I'm okay, like, because I'm smart, because I do well in school, because I come from a privileged background, I'm like 100% of the time okay. Um, that's, that's where I think the model minority myth has been really difficult for me. Um, it's just that assumption that like you're always put together like externally, maybe Mm -hmm. so, but I think part of that is the fact that I have to be in my culture. Like it is just not acceptable to be not put together externally at this point. So I think that a lot of, especially like Indian people that you'll come across really struggling with a lot on the inside, but you'll, you'll never know because we don't talk about it as openly.
3: Yeah, I just say that from an outsider's perspective, you know, with the the model minority myth that is usually applied to, especially like Asian students. Um, I think any stereotype, uh, as long as it's confining people to a space where they can't be their fully realized individual selves, is damaging. And so that kind of thing, like you said, it, it doesn't allow you to not be okay on certain days, and we have to normalize not being okay. Um, because that's a part of, like, like we've constantly talked about throughout this recording, um, that the the process of mental wellness is uneven. It, it, it It's not constant. And every day is a different day. Every day you're going to experience new challenges and different struggles. And so people have to be allowed to not be okay. I think that's an important point.
2: Yeah. That's another thing that kind of just sparked in a, a thought is that mm-hmm. I think when it comes to mental illness, everyone's like, well, what happened? Like, who mm-hmm. died? What in your life changed? Like, nothing has to happen for you to feel a certain way. And so I think if there's a way to destigmatize or normalize the fact that you can feel a certain way without any, like, major life event happening, and that's a still a valid concern and still a valid health issue that needs to be taken care of like that needs to happen and like i wish i knew the answer i don't um but just something that came to mind when we were talking about we should learn that it's okay to not be okay every day i think
3: right oh you go ahead yeah
2: i think in that same
1: vein like especially when we're talking about people of color generational trauma and black trauma is such a prevalent Mm -hmm. thing that like there may not be this huge like event that happened but just that general that generational trauma that you carry with you is enough for you to not be okay even if there wasn't Mm -hmm. this big event and so i think that when you're talking about mental health you have to recognize that intersection that recognize the way in which communities of color could be hurting in a way that white communities may not be yeah
3: yeah I, yeah, I, I just wanted to piggyback on what you said there, because that's a really good point. Um, I think that communities of color, because of our historical placement in society, uh, we we face unique challenges all the time, and we're seeing this play out on the national stage right now. Um, and so to constantly, I remember when, I just want to touch a bit on some of the political context and that, that's going on in our country and in the world, you know, I remember when the George Floyd incident occurred, um, when his life was tragically taken, uh, I, I remember just sitting there with my family and we were just like, I'm just so tired. Like, <laughs> I'm just so tired of constantly turning the TV on, constantly opening up my Twitter feed, and here's another unarmed Black man, another unarmed Black woman dead in the streets. And for what? And it's just like... Is that going to be me? Is it going to be my cousins? Is it going to be my grandpa, my grandmother, my aunties? Um, and that's that's a that's just a that it's so existentially like we as a society kind of just take that as a given that communities of color and especially black people, this you know you struggle um, that's your lot in life and it's it's unfortunate, but then that becomes a part of our. Our psychological well-being—just this, this having constantly on the back burner—that I am black or I'm a person of color, and my challenges are so unique and different, and any minute out in society, I can be discriminated against just for that uncontrollable fact about me. And it's just—it's that's just some that's something that brings a lot of people anxiety. And I think, especially, I I, I see a lot of my white friends sort of dealing with and realizing that now. And they're just like, damn, like, I, I, I'm i sorry, like, that you even have to, <laughs> it's yeah. like, what do you oh, say? My... Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: It's, it's weird, because I feel like all the people of color have been in the know, like, we've mm-hmm. known these were issues. Um, we've known these are things that impact our mental health. And to see all of a sudden a lot of white people caring about these things it's awesome part of me is like very (laughs) thankful and happy about it the other part of me is like where were you the entire time these things were happening
1: it's like you're 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 happy that they're paying attention now but you're also at least my like for me like you're angry that you have been saying it for so long that so many people have been saying it for so long and they're just now waking up and it's like it to your point nick like it's something that you've just accepted as the reality for mm. you as a person of color. And in that sense, you're almost like, well, what, like I can't complain about it because it's just the way it is. Like, it's just something that I have to accept. And I'm not saying that's right, but I feel like that almost is like the mentality behind it. It's like, well, yeah, like you're black, you're a black woman. That's just how it is. Like move
0: on, go to work, like move on. <laughs> and right. Like, No, like, on that, it's also like, like, how do I say this? It's like you don't know, like, it's almost like you want to, you hope your complaining doesn't turn into, like, a personality trait. And like when I say personality trait and my, the way I see that connecting to mental health is like when your struggle, when you being a victim becomes like a personality trait, like that's constantly what you're feeling, right? Like you have that feeling of otherness. Um, All people of color have this. So like, I think on top of that, you're also thinking like, dang, I hope this doesn't become like a whole thing. Like when people see me, they're not just like, oh, that's the person that's gonna go talk about their struggle, this and that within the POC community. But it's also like, no, like our stuff needs to be heard but then like what is too much, like what is too little? I think there's a constant state of juggling both of those while trying to stay sane and protect your, you know, your peace.
3: Yeah, this, this just reminds me of, uh, I think it's a James Baldwin quote um, from the 60s when he said to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a state of rage almost, almost all of the time and it's it, when you when you sit here and unpack a lot of the things people of color deal with as communities it can just engender such like such hopelessness and that's kind of traumatic like we kind of have to realize that that has impacted people the world over just knowing it's it's just a very existential reality that being who you are you just have to deal with these other struggles and issues and for what again it's that's the constant question i've always <laughs> asked myself for what what in the end when we're all when we're all in the ground
0: right
3: and like in the 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 earth is you know terraforming into <laughs> something else and you know we're long gone what was all of the injustice for and what was the pain it waged on so many communities for
0: that's real. I don't, there's no other way to like, think about that. But because we're in this position that we're in, I think all people of color in this position, what is kind of your advice to combat that? How do you take care of yourself? How do you take care of your friends? Um, How do you keep, make sure that your mental well being is put together?
2: Yeah, I think for me, it's, it's two things. So one, like I said earlier, surround yourself with positivity, like, especially with like, I think about this a lot with climate change, like we're probably going to die soon, which is a very frightening reality, but try to be positive, right? Like try to surround yourself with people who are working towards a better future, who are able to take tangible action steps towards meeting some goal. Like those are the kinds of people that I want to be with. Um, The second thing I would say is think about where you can find representation. So like for me, I went to a mental health conference last year and one of the guest speakers was an Indian therapist. And like, when I tell you I was in love, I was in love because she was speaking to my experience. Like she Mm -hmm. was somebody who understood what I was going through, why I can't just ask for help, why I can't just go to therapy. Like there's a number of cultural barriers that impact how we deal with our mental health. So, to the extent that you can find representation, um, find people who will understand you, who have maybe lived that experience or have studied that experience, and can guide you in the right direction.
3: Yes, I think the point of representation is so important. You know, it's similar to your story about the therapist and just having that epiphany when you when you engage with them. I remember one of my very first therapists was a black woman, and. It just added that it was it, it was until now the best, you know, mental health care process or journey I've ever gone through, because we talked so much about how blackness and my blackness and my identity have impacted me mentally in ways that I had never thought about before and I had never considered it was just such an eye-opening moment for me and we had we just had such groundbreaking sessions where I, I would just have all of these epiphanies and I was just like wow oh. Like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> I
0: was
3: I was I was discovering myself and that's such a that's such a cliche you see repackaged over and over again and you know, popular media and entertainment and stuff. I'm discovering myself, but it's really it's it's cliche because it's true. Lots of things, lots of things are cliche because they're true. Just having a black woman therapist, especially, it added a a, a sense of empathy and sympathy that just made the process so much more enriching. So again, that that point of representation is is really crucial. Um, and I think a second point that I'll make is find things that inspire you. I think inspiration is such an important part of life. And it's so highly underrated. Lots of people have so many ambitious goals. They have these beautiful, wonderful goals. And you see this at college campuses too, just really bright students with such high ambitions and ready to take on the world, but they feel stifled. And often it's because there's, there's you don't have things every day that are inspiring you and you don't need to always be inspired because that's just unrealistic. We're all human, you know, but to sometimes, just sometimes have things that inspire you in a way to get to the next step. And just, even if it's like, I know, I know for music lovers, like if you, if you have a favorite artist that has just really impacted your, your love of music and uh, what you listen to, they they can inspire you if you want to be a musician to, Go down the path that they did or take your own path, but be inspired by their initiative. You know, you can find that's. I'm just saying that you can find inspiration in any and everything, but just try to to find at least sometimes things that inspire you.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much to both of you for joining us. I think this conversation was incredibly insightful. Um, I think that, as Samantha mentioned at the beginning, mental health is not something that is very discussed um and people in poc communities it's not something that is prioritized at all so i think being able to have both of you on to have this conversation is amazing honestly and i hope that a lot of people listen to this and benefit from it and so
0: to of well, listen- you made it this far thank you for listening yeah, exactly. <laughs> thank you to all
1: y'all have, been, have listened to all of these episodes. episode
0: eight, we gotta say thank you but you can exactly. continue <laughs>
1: <laughs> um yeah so thank you to all of our listeners for continuing to stick with us continuing to show us your support um shout out to cat for their website our instagram graphics we love you we appreciate you and yeah i think that's all we have for this week and we hope that you all join us next week for episode Sounds
0: nine good thank you guys for coming on thank you yeah, thank you yep. for having us yeah no